Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. All right, what's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com, and today I want to do a teaching called The Fear of the Lord. The Fear of the Lord. Now, why I want to go here is, is because the Bible puts in great detail what God's fear is all about, what godly fear is supposed to do to you and I, how he's supposed to make us and uh, how it's supposed to govern our lives. I mean, you can pretty much point this to every little thing that we might deal with in life and go through when we speak about, you know, all the sin in the world, how people don't love their brother, how the love of many will wax cold, how there is abortion, how there's homosexuality, how you've got self-serving and self-loving people today. All of these things are because the fear of the Lord is absent today in society. And you say, hey, Sister Sarah, you know, and this is something that we need to pay attention to is godly fear because it'll get you out of a whole lot of jams. I like to compare it to when parents are with their children and you may have, um, you know, kids when they're growing up, they know that they love their parents, but they can't do those things that are righteous before their parents because of the fact that they may take their parents for granted, you know, and they may do things that they want. So when you're a kid, your butt gets spanked constantly because of the fact that you can't, you know, really understand or be able to relate to what your parents want. So you go through this process of being formed and being shaped and being brought to a place of, you know, uprightness and holiness. But before you get to that point, you know, you've got to go through a series of punishments and groundings and getting your butt spanked and everything else. And what are your parents teaching you with that? They're teaching you to fear them. Now, some people may think, oh, you know, that's right. (laughs) So some people may think that, you know, that's the wrong way to love your children. But the Bible says the rod of correction you know, drives out all those negative things that keep us from growing. And your parents will teach you the fear of them. And then there comes a point when you get a little bit older in your teenage years, your parents stop spanking you, obviously, because you're too old, but they try and get to a place of understanding with you. They get to a place of conversation. You know, they try and take you to another level of trust that they can tell you what's right and wrong and hope that you will obey. And around the time you're maturing and getting into your years of being an an adult, you know, is that you go into a place with your parents of, you know, love and friendship, but all those things are governed in the beginning with the fear. You see, children won't do things unless they fear you. You can tell a little kid not to do something, but they're going to try it anyway until you spank their hand or until you let them know that you mean business. And this is what the fear of the Lord does for you and I in this world, when we live our lives and we do our own things, we wanna be brought to the place of learning what it is to fear God, because it will be a great benefit to us. 
it's going to put you and I in a place of understanding that God means business. Okay, so that's important that we get to that place because if we don't, we're going to run like rebels until we hit a dead a dead end. Now, why does God want us to fear Him? One, because He's all powerful, He's all knowing, and He's everywhere, and He's God, and He makes no apologies for that. But also because He knows that if you fear Him, you'll follow His instruction and you'll stay away from the snare of the devil or the snare of men or all kinds of dangers seen and unseen. So you see, when the sheep learn to walk with the shepherd, it's because they have that fear, but they also will develop that love and that trust. And that's why Jesus tells us, if we love him, obey his commandments. That's the way that we can prove it to him. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the fear of the Lord, how it is absent today, how it is necessary for us to do what God says. And without it, we're only gonna find ourselves backsliding, disappointing God, having him distance himself from us because of the things that we do. So that's something that, you know, we've gotta uh, be aware of. Okay, so let's go into prayer and we will get right into this lesson, guys, as we talk about the fear of the Lord. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day, another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit that we may choose life and not death. And we just pray, Lord, for the fear of the Lord, even in this lesson, Lord, that we may say nothing that goes against your will, but that we will do all things according to what you want us to, that we may be faithful servants. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that no man's heart be heard in this teaching, that no flesh be glorified, but only by your spirit, Lord, that we will obey and that we will be made into your image day by day from faith to faith and glory to glory. So Lord, we invite the Holy Ghost, the spirit of teaching. Lord, we pray that you bring us into all truth and righteousness. We pray that if we stray at any place, Lord, from your truth or the word, that the Holy Ghost will get us back in line. And I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, in all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, that your people may hear your words, Lord, and that they may know what you want from them so that we might be called and chosen and faithful just as you want us to be. For you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right into the lesson. I wanna begin with Psalm 34. Psalm chapter 34, and we're gonna begin at verse one as we talk about the fear of the Lord. I'll tell you, it'll do you some good to fear God. It will do us some good to fear God. So this is Psalm 34. Let's look at verse one. It says, a Psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech and drove him away and he departed 
Uh, I will bless the Lord at all times. Uh, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened uh, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about or round about them that fear him and delivereth them. So what we understand, hey sister, daughter of the king. So what we understand is that the angel of God encamps around those who fear God. So you see, God intends for us to follow him. God is going to protect you if you believe that God is right and you fear him. So that means that all kinds of trouble can break out in your life. The enemy can be everywhere. Things can be going on. But if you fear the Lord, that is what you call holding your peace so that the Lord will fight your battles and do what needs to be done. So you don't want to mess around with someone that fears God because someone that fears God is going to live in an upright way. And they're not going to allow the enemy or anyone else to pull them away from the will of God. Hey, Sister Tara. So this is really important that we have an understanding that if you fear God, he's going to fight your battles because the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear the Lord. So thank you, Jesus. So this is this is a good thing, because how many of us know if we fight our own battles, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. So we got to let the Lord fight our battles so that we do the things that God wants. So look at verse eight. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. So now we see something else that occurs with those who fear the Lord. Not only do we have an angel of the Lord encamped about us to defend us and protect us for the Lord, but then he's talking about for them that fear the Lord, he says that they will not be, they will not want, or they will not want. So in other words, when you don't want, you're not lacking. That's what he's trying to say, is that God will meet every need in your life if you fear him. So you can't afford to let a deal like this go away. You want to know why so many of us struggle with things and we lack in certain areas in our lives? It's because we have no fear of God. If we fear the Lord and we get about his business, God will get about yours because he knows that you're, be, you're being an obedient child before the Lord. So look at verse 10 and it says that the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So when it says want, guys, it means lack. That's what it's talking about in the Hebrew. But it says the young lions do lack. So you see, young lions are like the rebellious people, those that go against God. They're going to lack. They're going to hunger. They're going to suffer because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when you got people that are proud and people that live their own way and they live in rebellion, they're going to find themselves lacking many days because if you don't have God, you don't have the treasures of God and you don't have everything that you need. So look at verse 11. He says, come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Uh, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So what we understand here is, remember when Jesus tells us that every word that we speak, every idle word we speak will be brought into judgment. For by our words, we will be justified if they're righteous. And by our words, we will be condemned. So you see, fear of the Lord gets you in this place of having wisdom in God, because if you fear God, you're not going to talk bad about your neighbor. You're not going to talk bad about your wife or your kids or, you know, um, anybody else. You're going to walk in God's fear because someone that fears the Lord knows this, that there is nothing that they can do that God won't know. And there's nothing that they can do that won't be brought into judgment. That's why we got to get in that place of having fear of God, because if we fear the Lord, we will find ourselves in that place of, I know I want to say this because of how I'm feeling, but one, I'm going to repent of how I feel, and I'm not going to say it if I know that it offends God. So you see, having fear of God takes you to different places in him. It takes you to different levels of obedience because you know Man, if I say these words the way I want, God will judge. What also keeps you and I in that place of receiving God's word and living according to it is the fear of the Lord. What keeps me from becoming a false prophet and just preaching anything to you guys and not the truth? It's the fear of the Lord. Because the Bible tells us in uh, James 3, let teachers among you be few, for they will receive the greater condemnation. So I want to be real careful with what I say because of the because I don't want to be on a collision course with God. If I'm teaching people unrighteously or I'm handling the word of God deceitfully, then what it's going to do is get me in trouble with the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is why I bring the true gospel. The fear of the Lord is why I preach the gospel. The fear of the Lord is how I'm careful, how I deal with my neighbor, because I don't want to fall out of line and have to face God for my sin. Okay, so that's why it's a good thing. So he talks about in verse 14, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. So if the fear of the Lord God, you and not into righteousness, then God watches over those who are righteous. God will hear your cry. So that means that no fear of God can even keep your prayers from being answered. That's not a place you want to be with the Lord. Look at verse 16. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. So this is important why we've got to be righteous concerning the Lord, because God's going to hear your troubles. He's going to hear your cries. He's not going to let an obedient child of his go through all sorts of things like, like people that don't hear God. He's got a special place for you because you believe that God is God and you take God wherever you go and you follow him wherever he calls you to go. So when you're like that, God is quick to hear the prayer of a righteous person and one that fears him versus one that feels like he can do whatever he wants and somehow God is supposed to be there. So you see, fear of God is good. Look at verse 18. 
The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So the righteous are gonna have to suffer. Paul says, for all who will live godly will suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So when you're evil, God may try and encourage you to be right, but God's not gonna do a whole lot of things for you because you're going contrary to his will and to his plan for your life. And you see that gets you in a lot of trouble. It's only a matter of time before you get hit with a real sickness or before you find yourself in prison or even dead. You see, and I'm not saying that the righteous won't die or have tribulation and go through things too, of course they will. But you see the Bible makes clear here that the righteous will suffer many afflictions, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So you see, you're gonna go through afflictions whether you're a saint or a sinner, but the only difference is God is with the saint. He is not with the sinner that does not fear him. Look at verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So if you put your trust in God, you'll be able to have what God wants. But you see, if you look at um, where the Bible talks about fearing man, the fear of man brings a snare. So you see, the child of God that trusts in God, God will take care of. But when you find yourself a rebel, not wanting to obey God, you're gonna go through the afflictions, but there'll be no savior for you. And you see, it's better to fear God now, have him work on you, make you right, than to have to stand before him one day in terror, because you will be afraid. There won't be one person that's gonna come before the throne of God boldly if you're unrighteous. You're gonna have fear of the Lord because you're gonna see him in power and all his glory with eyes that'll stare through you like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. His hair is white as snow and his voice will be the sound of many waters or many rivers or roaring seas. And he's gonna know every single thing that you've done, every sin that you tried to hide, every intent of the heart that appeared righteous, but was so unrighteous. This is why we need to fear the Lord now so that he can make us over. He can hear our prayers. He can lead us out of the places of unrighteousness that we may pursue him and truly be what God wants us to. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Let's go to Psalm 19 and let's look at verse one. And by the way, guys, you know, for those who were praying for us, man, I had a good time at the Omega Ministries Soldiers of Light Conference. If anybody's uh, never uh, seen Gary Price or heard his teachings, I encourage you guys to uh, turn to him. We put a few of his teachings on the website. We added links, you know, to the conference. So it was a good conference. There was Brother Rashid there and there was uh, Pastor Price. And I taught myself on the third day but there's a lot of good teaching in that. So, you know, if you guys get the chance, just turn to the, um, you know, go to the website and just scroll down just a little and you're gonna see the four links of the four days of teaching that was in that conference. But I had a great time with good brothers and sisters in the Lord. Some of the people that listen to this um, channel 
were there and I got to meet them. So, you know, it's an awesome thing. So I thank you all for your support, you know, during those times because the enemy was trying really hard to keep me from going. But, you know, grateful to the Lord for a lot of brothers and sisters that were very supportive, helped make it possible. So thank you once again, you know, and praise the Lord. So look at Psalm 19, guys. And we're gonna look at verse one. And it says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night sheweth knowledge. There is no speech nor language which their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So what are we talking about? The creation of God. Everything that he put in place, everything has a law and everything follows its circuit with the Lord. Look at verse five, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So as you can see, when God programmed this world to be a certain way in his creation, the sun goes up and down without fail. That ought to tell you something about the fear of the Lord because only God can manage the sun and the moon and all the things that come, all four seasons, everything that comes into play. That just simply shows you and I that God is in control. And all of his creation knows this, except for man. Man's got to get to the place of being full of God so that he knows that God is in control and he can one, learn to love the Lord, trust the Lord and fear the Lord in case he thinks about rebelling. Okay, so look at verse, uh, I believe in verse seven, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So we look at God's law, it's perfect. It makes us perfect. Right here, they were under the Mosaic law, but he's not talking about Mosaic law here. He's talking about the laws of creation. So they're perfect. You're never gonna look up one day and see the sun not there unless they burn the sky or do something with these chemtrails. But even then, there is no man or beast or anything living or, or once lived and is dead that can stop God's creation from doing what it does. Trees come and blossom, they bear fruit. You know, you have your harvest, you got your former rain, you got your latter rain. As I said, the sun and the moon, you got the, uh, the, the tide in the river that flows out every six hours and flows back in. So this just simply tells us that God's law is perfect and it converts the soul. So not just the laws of creation, he's also speaking the law of God that he has for you and I about being righteous and being made whole. He's not talking about the old Mosaic law, but it converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So, you know, this means when God tells you and I a thing, God doesn't give us instruction not knowing what's gonna happen. God doesn't say, okay, I want you guys to do this, this, and this just for my good pleasure. No, God enlightens us with every bit of instruction that he gives us because God can see behind every green tree. 
He can see over every mountain. He can see under the depths of the sea. He knows righteousness from unrighteousness. God knows this whole thing. So you see, if we follow the Lord, it's gonna bring us enlightenment. It's not just he just likes to give us orders. He's telling us what's for our own good so that you and I can grow and become fruitful. Look at verse nine. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So when he means by the fear of the Lord is clean, the fear of the Lord will really keep you in a good place. What keeps you and I from going off the deep end from being since being saved? One, having the spirit of God to his word. But three, you know that you can fall short of God and you can have God come and judge you. You know, once we know the truth concerning matters, it's important that we live by them because if we don't, God will judge us. God's gonna say, if you knew my truth, why didn't you do it? And that's why we gotta be careful that we stop when we're wrong and we get back in line and, and that we repent because one day we're gonna face God and there is a such thing as a point of no return. You see, false doctrine will always lead you away from the fear of the Lord. Like when you look at, uh, what do they call it? Prosperity gospel. You see, you get so focused on the world and your greed, you don't even think about God. But when it comes to once saved, always saved, you see, that's having no fear of God. That means I've got a license to sin. I can do whatever I want to do and somehow God's going to be okay. But a saint knows if I repent or I make a mistake or I have a weak moment, hey, Lord, forgive me and give me the strength to live in your ways. Because if not, I'm going to have to face you for this. You don't want God to come and deal with you because there is a point of no return. If you read Hebrews 6, well, well, we'll go there. But the bottom line is you can go too far with God. There is a such thing as a reprobate mind that you don't want to take a hold of you. Because if it does, you know, you will have no more desire for God. You will be rotten to the core. You will be disqualified from all works. You can't speak for God, you know, and you may not even come to the place of wanting to repent. The Bible speaks of that as having your conscience seared with a hot iron. So that's why when you know something is wrong, you need to stop doing it and get in line with the Lord. Because if we don't, there is a such place as reprobation and there is a point of no return. I'm not trying to scare anybody. The Bible tells us that we should fear the Lord. But you see, we take a lot for granted down here. We take salvation for granted. We think we can just fool around where the Bible tells us to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, which is the devil, he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So if you fear God, you won't allow yourself to get snared of man. But when you fear man, it will bring a snare upon you. So if you fear God, you won't have any fear of man. And that's why the devil tries to make you afraid because he doesn't want you believing any of these things can be true. He doesn't want you believe that you can get full of the spirit and cast him out. So the devil wants to get you to a place of unbelief. And when there is unbelief, there will be doubt and there will be fear. Where there is the absence of faith, there is fear. But if you put full faith in God, you won't have any fear of man. It's the fear of man that keeps us from obeying God. Look at 10, it says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. 
So when you got God's wisdom and God's righteousness brewing in you, you know, you're in that place of it's better than fine gold because we already read back in Psalm 34 that God will hear the prayers of the righteous. I would rather have God answer my prayers and have my soul right with him than to just be rich and govern myself. I would love to be in a place of God hearing every single prayer that I have every time I need him. Whenever I'm short with words and I have no understanding of how I'm gonna do this, God will you know, give me instruction because I'm an obedient child. And that's the best feeling in the world. God don't give you all your blessings all at once because he knows that you would go crazy and do what you wanted to do with it. But you know, there's nothing like coming to a place of, I don't know what to do and crying out to the Lord and there the Lord is to take care of you. You see, that keeps your relationship with the, with God strong. That keeps you in that place of, you know, doing what God says and knowing that he hears you. See, God knows not to spoil us. That's something I wish that some parents knew because you haven't noticed the children that their parents give them everything. How much fear and respect do those children have for their parents? Almost none. They'll curse them out in public, do whatever they want to do, not even care what they say to them. Why? Because you take your parents for granted. You think that your parent is some great big pushover that you can just do whatever you want. But you see, those parents that will not spare the rod of correction and will discipline your butt and will get in your face when it's necessary, as you get older, you have a great appreciation for them because what they did for you was out of love. And it's no different when it comes to fearing the Lord and trusting him and having him spank your butt from time to time to get you in line. That's a good thing. So he says in verse 11, moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. So the great transgression is what Adam and Eve had done. It was the fall of man. It was the day that man believed that he could manage his life without God. When you've got no fear of God, you will manage your life without God. What did Satan give Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? He took away the fear of the Lord by telling them, oh, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. He took away the fear. Because if God told Adam and Eve that they would die, that would give you plenty of reason to fear God. So the first sins were led on by taking away the fear of the Lord and then introducing them to their own pride. That's what it means to be presumptuous. Presumptuous sins are proud sins, sins that you think you can get away with even though you know the truth. So David is asking here to keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins because Adam and Eve were convinced, or at least Eve was to the point that I can disobey God. I learned some new doctrine. I learned some new knowledge from a lying serpent that told me that I don't need to fear God. And when that happened, look what came over them. We're living with the great transgression today. Look at verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So as you can see, David is even careful 
with the words that come out of his mouth. And then he's talking about the meditations of his heart. Do you even know that there are thoughts that you and I could have that will make us, that, that really disgust God? The Bible says in Genesis six that it repented him that he had created man because all man could think about was evil continually. So you don't just need to repent of the words that come out of your mouth. You need to even repent when you've got these sinful, ungodly thoughts. Why? Because thoughts will eventually give life to words and to actions. So you see, if you can subdue the thought that comes into your mind by rebuking it and asking God to forgive you, then the devil can't find a place to plant seeds to grow his evil fruit in you that you won't just be a, a, a thinker of unrighteous thoughts, but you'll, be, you'll eventually become a doer. So you see, you gotta ask God to look over your mouth and watch over the meditations of your heart that you might be acceptable in the sight of God. Because just because you say nothing don't mean that you don't sin or don't offend God. You can be in traffic, somebody can cut you off in traffic, you can hear that a brother or sister said something negative about you and never came forward with it, and it will make you upset, but you gotta understand that God is, is watching how you deal with these matters. The Bible tells us to bless them that curse you, to love them that hate you, and to do good to them that despitefully use you, because it keeps you out of the snare of you know dealing with God. Why do we do these things? One, it's because of love, but two, it's because of fear. It's a commandment of the Lord to do right by your neighbor, because if not, then you've got God to answer to. Okay, so let's go to Proverbs chapter one, Proverbs one, and we're gonna begin at verse one. Thank you, Jesus. That's why when you get people preaching soft-soaked messages of Jesus Christ, man, be careful with them. Jesus talked more about hell than he ever talked about heaven. Our God says what he means and he means what he says. So, you know, when anybody's telling you, oh man, you know, Jesus just loves us. We don't need to worry about anything. Man, you better be real careful with that because we got a lot to worry about. That's why the Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with much fear and trembling because it's those things that keep us in line with the Lord. So let's look at Proverbs one, look at verse one. Oh man, I'm burping a lot tonight, I don't know. It says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So you see what wisdom and understanding gives you? It gives you, you know, um, it brings subtlety, okay, um, a subtlety to the wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. The under, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as you can see, when you fear the Lord, that's the beginning of knowledge, you know? So to, to have knowledge is to have God, not just any kind of knowledge, but it's to have knowledge in what to do. That word is H1847. 
And that word means it's, it's called duff, and it means knowledge, perception, skill, discernment, understanding, and wisdom. So as you can see, there's six things here that it can give us if we fear the Lord. We will have knowledge. We can perceive. We will have skill because we wait on God's abilities and not our own. Then we can have discernment and understanding and wisdom. Now, some may ask, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge tells us what a thing is. Wisdom, you know, uh, tells us what to do with it. So you see, just to know what something is is not enough. What do you do with it? Like you can have knowledge that you've got money in your bank account, but wisdom will tell you how to spend that money. Wisdom will tell you who to be around. Yeah, I know this person. They go to the church. That's knowledge of the person, but wisdom tells you how to deal with them, how to deal with issues, how to deal with matters, how to deal with the thoughts and the intents of the heart, how to deal with the things that God tells you what things are. Because God can tell you, yeah, there's a demon in that person. But you see, wisdom will tell you, don't cast the devil out of them because that might not be God's will because this person is unrepentant. So you see, knowledge tells you what a thing is but wisdom will tell you exactly what to deal with it. And you and I can't afford to go without this when it comes to, you know, um, you know, even preaching the gospel or becoming an evangelist. We've got to be able to have knowledge of what we're dealing with before us and wisdom. Two of the gifts of the, uh, of the spirit is the word of knowledge. God tells you what a thing is, the word of wisdom, what to do with that particular thing. Hey, brother Randy, you know, uh, that's my sister's husband, Randy. It's funny how Sister Tara and Sister, I mean, and my sister Dawn, you know, uh, has a husband named Randy. <laughs> we should look up what Randy means. It might be a good sign. So, you know, the fear of the Lord, once again, is the beginning of knowledge, okay? And, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever realize that anybody that will give their lives to the Lord, how they've got no problem seeking out the truth. You can read in this word something negative that's of you, and you'll say, man, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for the correction, Lord, so I won't do these things anymore. But a fool, a fool is anyone that will not receive the gospel. A fool is anyone that does not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because some people look at some Buddhist in the world, and they look at Hindus, and they look at all these enlightened people in the new age. But really, if you hearken unto them, you're a fool. Who was Buddha? Buddha was a fool. Why? Because Buddha believed that you did not need God to survive. Who were, who were the Hindus? I mean, all of those, those gods of Hinduism and those who, who get into that, they're foolish because they forsake the only true name that can liberate and save man, which is Jesus Christ. So you see, that's why the Bible tells us they profess themselves to be wise. They think that they found some new wisdom and knowledge and enlightenment, but really they have become fools because many of them want to change the knowledge of the uncorruptible God to be like that of corruptible man. I can't speak for anybody else, but I am so glad that my God is wiser than me. I am so glad that my Lord is more powerful than me that he knows every single thing. Why? So I can put my trust in him and be led into all wisdom, knowledge, and righteousness. But a fool, 
Man, anytime you bring up Jesus or you tell them the right way, they blow you off because they got no desire to seek after the truth, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what we better be aware of, guys, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff concerning fools in this in, in uh, Proverbs, and it's not good judgment. You got to hear the truth, buy the truth, as the Bible says, and sell it not. Let's look at Proverbs 2, and let's look at verse 1. Thank you, Jesus. Fools despise wisdom. And I once knew a fool like that. You guys are looking at him. But thank God for Jesus and his grace that he was able to bring me past that. And every now and then I can do something or think something foolish. And the Lord's got to come and get my butt in line with him. Thank you, Jesus. Look at Proverbs 2. Look at verse 1. He says, my son, if thou will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and, list, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. You see this, guys? That if you incline your ear to wisdom, okay, knowledge and understanding, and you lift up your voice unto wisdom and knowledge and understanding, then he says in verse five, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Now, you guys know when we were rebels, people could have preached their hearts out to us all day long, and we would stand there just like granite not wanting to know the truth. It took an acceptance of God's word to enter into your heart, to say to yourself, you know, ain't nothing perfect going on in my life. You know, um, you know, why not just try? You know, why, why don't I just submit to the Lord? And when you submit to God, you notice what happened to you, that you began to find this knowledge and wisdom where God's word at one point was just you know, eh, all these these and those. But now, man, it's like, man, I just can't wait to pull these scriptures apart and put them back together. So you see, when you yield yourself to the Lord, then you understand the fear of the Lord. Then you've got a greater appreciation to love the Lord because he didn't destroy you at the time he could have. Hey, brother Kev, how you doing, my brother? Praise the Lord. So you see, that's why it's important that we understand the fear of the Lord, but you're not gonna get there unless you yield to him. And then you see the power of God. Then you see that all God can do and you are ever grateful that he loves you. All right, so look at uh, six and it says, for the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. So once again, as we learn that the fear of the Lord bringeth a snare. Hey, brother Mark, how you doing, my brother? All right. Do you know that the fear of the Lord brings, a, um, I mean, the fear of the Lord puts us in line with him and gives us all wisdom, but it says in verse eight, I mean, or verse seven, he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. So God is a buckler and he will protect us if we fear him. You've got to fear God. It's just like you know, a, a baby, if the baby gets his butt spanked for sticking his finger in the socket, 
the baby will eventually fear the parent and will stop doing it. When the child loses fear of the parent, the, the child will begin to stray and not hear his parent's voice. So that gets them into more trouble. You ever hear like some kids, uh, I'm not a parent, but I remember being a kid to my parents, but have you guys ever heard or said to your parents, you love my brother or sister more than me. They were always your favorite. Now, in some cases, I'm not gonna lie to people, that's absolutely true. I mean, parents love their kids the same. They're not supposed to play favorites, but some parents do. But is that really what's going on? Or does it have more to do with one child likes the instruction of the parent, likes to be up under the parent, is obedient to the parent and fears the parent, which makes it easier for the parent to govern their children. But when you deal with you know, uh, the rebellious child, you know, that doesn't really want to be around the parent, then you're not going to obey. You're not going to have that fear. You're not going to get out of mom and dad what you could possibly have because you're a rebel, because you choose to walk in your own way. So you see, you can only reap the benefits of God if you're an obedient child, because God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he can repent. God holds his word above his name. If he's made a promise to you in this word, then you need to be obedient to those conditions to reap the benefit of what God has for you. And that's what the fear of the Lord truly brings you. Look at verse eight. It says, he keepeth the path of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. So if you're one of his saints, if you're obedient unto the Lord, God will take care of you. Why? Because he's got no reason to raise his voice at you. He's got no reason to spank his butt. He's got no reason to show you his power and what he can actually do to you because you're obedient. And you see, that's why when, when you're at a distance from God, you can misunderstand him. You can think that he's hard. You can think that he's judging unrighteously, but what's the problem? You don't know the Lord. You haven't drawn close to him. So it looks like, man, he's blessing all these people, but he's passed me by. If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And if you draw near to him, you'll begin to see that, man, that mountain that was in the distance, not only is it really big, but man, it's so beautiful. It's so glorious. It's so full of awe because you have learned to fear God and draw close to him. No one will draw close to God unless you fear him and you truly believe that he is God. If you've got no fear of God, you'll be a rebel. But if you fear the Lord, that's only because you know you can't live without his knowledge, his wisdom, and his understanding. You see, that's what it truly is to fear God. Not just that you're a child. You know, there were only two or three times in this Bible that it says that God was pleased. And one of them was when Solomon said, Lord, I am but a child. I don't know whether to go in or go out. And it said that that saying of Solomon pleased the Lord. And what did God give Solomon? Wisdom and riches. God asked Solomon, what do you want? Riches or wisdom? Solomon said, Lord, I don't know how to do these things. Only you know, Lord. And when he said that, that pleased God. God loves when you need him. God loves when you're obedient and you'll just say, Lord, you handle it. You know, God will say, don't worry about it, my child. I've got you. When you're obedient. God resists the proud, but he'll give grace unto the humble. When you've got no fear of God, you will be a proud, proud individual. Look at Proverbs 8.
Proverbs chapter 8. All right, look at Proverbs 8. Look at verse 13, guys. Proverbs 8 and 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. So when you fear God, it says you will hate evil. You know why? Because you'll be like God. When the Bible tells us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, or rather reprove them and expose them, it's because you fear God. You don't wanna be caught up joining a gang. You don't wanna be caught up smoking a blunt. You don't wanna be caught up doing, you know, um, you know, fornicating or, or trying to hurt, you know, people or do things because you fear God. So not only will you distance yourself from evil, but you will be more than happy to expose it because you know that God's way is right. You don't wanna be with evil. And then he tells you that even pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. So God hates when you've got a perverse mouth, when you speak lies, when you, when you, uh, you know, try and twist things to your benefit. And it says, God hates the evil way. Those who walk in evil, you know, will be on a collision course with God. But if you fear God, you'll hate evil. You won't, you'll be humble before him, of course, because God resists the proud and you won't walk arrogantly. You're gonna walk with thanksgiving as an obedient child, okay? And you'll stay off the evil way and you won't have forward speech because you know that God hates these things. So you see, fear is the beginning of fear of the Lord, I mean, is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. So let's get into the word. We can take it a little bit further. Let's go to Joshua 24 and let's look at verse one. Joshua 24 and one. Joshua 24 and one. All right, Joshua 24, we're gonna look at verse one. And it says, and Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So Terah, who was Abraham's father, was one that was like, um, you know, he was a, a follower of Nimrod. He followed false gods. So therefore, he had no fear of the Lord. I guess I'm going to have to close my window again. The devil never fails. Look at verse three. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto him Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. So one thing we understand about Abraham and the fear of the Lord is this, Abraham would hold nothing back from God. And because of that, he was known as a friend of God. Why is this important? Because you see, 
when when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham didn't even question it. If you guys look at that, I believe it's uh, Genesis 22. But God says, you know, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. And it was no sweat off of Abraham's back. He was thinking, well, Lord, you gave him to me. So therefore, you know, you got to do what you got to do. If you want my son, then, hey, you can have him. And Abraham got ready to sacrifice his son. And the Bible told him, or the angel of the Lord told him, do thy son no harm. For now I know that you will hold back nothing from me. So you see, when you fear the Lord, you won't hold back anything from God. When it comes time to confess a thing, you'll confess it. When it comes time to walk with God, you're going to walk with God. Why? Because oh, disobeying God is more fearful to you than meeting what you want in your carnal flesh and in your own will. So, you know, anyway, he says, um, I believe I'm in verse five. He says, and I sent Moses also and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterwards, I brought you out. So you remember that Pharaoh himself had no fear of God. Remember in uh, Exodus 5, uh, Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And Pharaoh told Moses, um, who is this God of yours? And I will not let Israel go. So he says, I know not the Lord and I won't let Israel go. So what happened? Pharaoh and his men eventually perished in the Red Sea because they would not stop. They would not yield. They continued to do battle with God only to find out that God is God. You don't want to find out that God is God and he's got to deal with you. You want to be obedient and know that he is God. So not only will he instruct you and guide you and, and bless you, but he will eventually make his boat, his abode in you, that he will work through you. You see, um, being a Christian is the only, I don't want to say religion, but it's the only belief system in the world that God actually goes inside of his creation and lives in it and works through it. There's no other religion that works that way. All the other religions will have you making sacrifices and doing things unto them that you'll never know the Lord and he'll never have any real interaction with you unless he's pulling you from it. So he says in verse six, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt and ye came unto the sea and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them and your eyes have seen uh, what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore. He blessed you still, and I delivered you out of his hand. So the Lord was making clear when they obeyed, they were able to be delivered. Okay, Sister Sarah. So you see, that's the whole thing that, you know, when we obeyed, when they obeyed God, 
he was able to deal with them. Those who did not obey, what happened to them? They were left in the wilderness and they were destroyed. So he says in verse 11, and ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and Hivites and the Jebusites and I delivered them into your hand. So what we see here concerning the Lord is this, God is right now giving them, or Joshua is saying what the Lord has done, he's giving them plenty of reasons to believe God and to trust in him. If God has taken you through all these trials and he's done all these things to you, then what God is trying to tell you is, put your trust in me, because if you trust in me, you will be victorious. Verse 12 says, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor and cities which ye built not. And ye dwelt in them of the vineyards and olive yards, which ye planted, um, which ye planted not, do ye eat. So God is telling them they didn't have to do anything on this journey, but just obey God. And because they obeyed God, God made them fruitful. Look at verse 14. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him with insincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father, your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. So he's making clear, fear God and put away your other gods. We've got to ask ourselves, if we're idolaters and we have gods of our own. If we have our own gods and things that we look to more than God, then it's gonna put us on a collision course with the Lord. He's telling them to fear him. What's wrong with the church today? The church doesn't fear God, the church fears man. How do I know this? Because we're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not standing and believing him. We're not going against these people who make these insane laws against Christians. We're trying to stay in our little comfort zone out of the battle because we fear man and not God. So look at verse 15. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua's making clear. He says, if it seemed evil to you to serve the Lord, like a lot of people may hear what I'm saying right now, and they may think, man, he's cold. Man, I can't believe he's saying all this stuff. You know, if it seems evil that I'm talking to you about the righteousness of God and how we need to obey him and be one with him, then he's making clear, choose you this day whom you will serve. What is he telling you? Stop calling yourself a Christian, okay? Because you don't really mean it. It's evil to you to, to hear God's instruction and to obey. So he says, if you find God's word and his instruction evil to you, and you don't fear the Lord enough to obey him, he said, hey, we got a simple solution for this. Just choose whom you will serve, okay? And he says, whether the gods of which your father served that were on the other side of the flood 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Uh, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua's making clear, if God's too hard, then you can go to Lakewood. You can go to whatever church you wanna go to and you can hear all sorts of lies. If you want the sugar gospel, you can go where you need, where they're gonna preach a sugar gospel. Wherever you call yourself going, okay? It's only gonna be where your heart is. If you've got no desire for the word of God, you can find a false minister out there that can tell you everything that you wanna hear. You can find a false God out there that will tell you not to believe in heaven and hell. They're all lies. You see, there's always a flavor for whatever belief system you and I have, but will it be the truth? You see, this is why we need to fear the Lord because if you fear him, you will obey his word and know that God is God. And if I don't live in accordance with what he says, then there are things that are gonna come my way. You see, there are punishments, there are things put in play for every single person that won't obey God. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 12 and let's look at verse one. What does brother Mark say? As for me and my house, <laughs> we choose righteousness. Amen, brother. Amen. 2 Samuel 12. And let's look at verse one. This had everything to do with David. You guys have heard the story of David and Bathsheba. David began to relax from the war while his men were at battle, which gave him just enough time to lust after another man's wife and to look her up and down and become enticed. What happened to David? He lost the fear of the Lord. That's what happened to David. You know, when David began to relax from the war, when he thought he could sleep with a man's wife and no one would know about it, he lost the fear of the Lord. He thought because he was king, he could get away with it. He would have enough power to cover up his sin. But you see, you can't do that with God. God will find you out. Second Samuel 12, let's look at verse one. He says, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in a city and one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his flock and of his own herd to, dr to dress for a wafering man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against uh, the, the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, that man that have done this thing shall surely die. So David is talking about here that, you know, he's, he's trying to be a righteous king, but he's trying to sweep his sin under the rug because David has lost the fear of the Lord. So as Nathan is coming to tell David about this injustice that has taken place, that a rich man took something from a poor man, the poor man had nothing, the rich man had everything, but the rich man felt like it was okay just to take away you know, uh, from the poor man. So David is trying to act like a righteous king here and saying, oh man, now that you told me this injustice has taken place, he said, 
man, now that I know this, I'm angry. And that man that did this wrong will die. Okay, so now let's look at verse six and, and look at what David says too. And this king, I mean, on this man, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So what is David judging? Righteously, but he's also judging as a hypocrite. Now look at verse seven. And Nathan said unto David, because God sent David, I mean, sent Nathan the prophet to, to tell David about his sin. Now this happened to David because David wouldn't confess it. You know, and I'm not gonna let the devil win. You guys hang on one sec. Sorry about that. I had to close my window because it seems like the devil's trying to get loud to make some noise. So David, so Nathan said unto David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given such thee, I mean, um, given uh, unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in, the, in his sight Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So what we understand here is Nathan is telling David every little thing he did. I know you killed that man. I know you took that man's wife and you're doing all the things that you're doing. So you see, uh, God had to make it right with David. So this thing needed to be known. And look at what he says. Look at verse nine. He says, wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed the Hittite with the sword. I read that part, sorry. Look at verse 10. He says, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. So it makes clear here to not obey God's wisdom, okay, to not obey God's word is to hate God. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments, because if you hate God, you're not going to obey God. You're going to do what you want to do. David thought this was okay, and now he's found out. So look at, uh, let's see, uh, look at verse 11. He says, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. But for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath also. Uh, have put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee, uh, shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. So some people may think that God is wrong for killing the child that was born in. 
fornication or adultery, but you must understand that innocent blood was shed, innocent blood had to be paid. God made sure because of David doing this, David gave his enemies a chance to blaspheme God that David had a wife and child in adultery. You know, and because of that, God got to the place of, you know, that he's going to have to deal with David and his sin. He said that the sword would never depart from his house. And you know the story, Amnon, which is David's son, raped his daughter Tamar. Then you had, um, what's the other one? Uh, Absalom, his son, tried to take the throne from David and killed David. So all these things took place because of the fact of David's sin. And all of this happened because he lost fear of the Lord. Now, God loved David. God was still called. God still loved him. But God had to get David right in order for him to work with David. You don't want God to deal with you this way. Fear the Lord, obey what he tells you, and you'll stay in good standing with the Lord. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Now that I close the window, there's no noise. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> it's a funny thing, man. It's a funny, funny thing. I guess you just got to laugh at it. So let's look at Matthew 10, guys. Let's look at verse uh, 15 or 16. And he says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. So what is the Lord painting before them? He told them that they would be sheep in the midst of wolves. So he didn't paint a pretty picture. He's telling them, man, guys, this is an ugly thing. When you follow me, man, you're going to be persecuted and you're going to have family members turning in their own and a lot of betrayal and all this stuff's going to go on. God is telling them this because he doesn't want them to be caught by surprise. He wants them to know, guys, yeah, this stuff is going to come so that you will know and do what is what God is telling you. So he says they're going to be delivered up and all these things are going to happen. Look at verse 20. He said, for it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father, which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father, the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. So as you can see, you're going to find out that spirit is thicker than blood where everybody's hanging on to their family and their friends and their loved ones and all these things. Yeah, it's a good thing to love your family and do all these things. But Jesus is making clear here, there are gonna be enemies within the family, people that are gonna turn you in. So he's, he makes clear here in verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth unto the end shall, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the son of man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master 
and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? He says, fear them not, neither for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So the Lord is telling them here, if you guys are gonna follow me, it's gonna be a hard road. You're gonna get betrayed, you're gonna be thrown in prison, some people are gonna even seek to kill you for the gospel's sake. But what does the Lord tell you? Don't fear them. Don't fear man. The fear of man will bring a snare. But he tells them, don't fear them that can kill the body. You better fear them that can kill the body and when he is done, cast the soul into hell. That is almighty God. We've got to take the instruction of God to be far more serious and far more consequential than worrying about the fear of man. You see, now if everybody gets to the place of fearing God, man, we could turn this world upside down for Jesus because we won't have fear of losing our jobs. We won't have fear of losing our marriages or our friendships or even our own lives. We will fear the Lord because we will perceive that there are things far more terrifying than man or death, and that is the second death, which is the lake of fire. Now, Jesus told them this like a commander. He wasn't telling them this to try and give you nightmares. He's telling them the truth. Guys, instead of fearing man, instead of fearing peer pressure, instead of fearing losing a loved one, you better fear the Lord because he can kill the body and cast your soul into hell. Man, fear God, but you're only gonna fear him if you get to know him. If you draw close to him, God will reveal things to you and you will know that God is God and he is no toy or anything to be played with. You gotta trust in God, fear him, because if you fear him, you won't be snared and you won't be bound to anything because you take God's word 100% seriously. So, you know, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people, man, that's cold, that's kind of hard, but you know what? It's the truth. He told them that so that they would not face eternal hellfire. There is more to fear than man, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord will make you bold. It'll make you courageous, you know, and, and that's what we got to understand. Jeremiah says, and I believe uh, Jeremiah 23, how being a prophet, there was fear on every side. There were all sorts of things going on around Jeremiah. You know, people were threatening his life and wanting to kill him and betray him, but the fear of the Lord kept him going. The fire in his bones that God gave him in his spirit was able to keep Jeremiah going. Why? Because he feared the Lord. Let's go to Philippians 2. Thank you, Jesus. It's a hard teaching tonight, man. But you know, we know that God loves us. That's not our problem. You know that God loves you and God would do anything for you. We talked about already, and we will talk about some more, that if you fear the Lord, the angel of the Lord will encamp himself around you. If it, so that means that you got protection in the Lord and they couldn't destroy those disciples until their time was up, until God was ready to call them home. 
So you see, you don't have to fear man. Your life is in God's hands, you know? So you'll have that. God will hear the prayers of those who fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding, and God will reward those who fear him. So you see, there's lots of reward and fear of the Lord, but you gotta ask yourself what, you, what you're gonna choose in this. Are you gonna fear the Lord and let him work with you and live right? Or are you gonna have the fear of man and be a prisoner to this life? And then you're gonna have to deal with Jesus Christ in the end. That's why, man, when they took away the fire and brimstone teaching, when they took away about sin and all this stuff, you see how man rebelled from God instantly because there was no fear of God in the land. So Philippians two, look at verse one. He says, if there be therefore any consolation of, in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So as you can see, when God talks about the fear of the Lord, you can see that, you know, Jesus himself said, I can do nothing aside from what I see my father do. Jesus didn't want to be disconnected from his father. He could have had a will separate from the father, but Jesus knew that my father is the truth. Okay, so we've got to be the same way that Jesus was. We've got to know that God is right in everything he commanded us to do. You're only gonna love your neighbor when you fear the Lord. You're only gonna love the Lord when you fear the Lord. Why? Because you know that you need him. So let's not let these things shoot by us. Look at verse nine, because of Jesus's humility, because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, it says, wherefore God, who is the Father also, hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, some people may knock fear down and say, well, fear just means respect. Okay, so let's look at the word fear in the Greek. Okay, and that's G54101. And it says fear, dread, terror that which strikes terror, reverence for one's husband. So he's talking about that, that's a different meaning, but the point he's making here is to have fear, to be terrified of God. You don't wanna hurt God and you don't want God to hurt you. It's too many people out here that knock down the fear of God. 
But if more fire and brimstone was preached, if more judgment day was preached, if more that, you know, God will, you know, judge the wicked, and he already talks about the stiff punishments that he'll have for them, there would be more fear of God, and you will find more people in society live godly. But people go their own way. And because of that, they don't have any fear of the Lord. So as you can see, this means fear, okay? And then when you look at trembling, this is G5156. It says a trembling or quaking with fear, with fear and trembling, used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely uh, to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Are we doing our utmost to fulfill the duty of the Lord? You see, this is when he talks about this anxiety and all that you're going to have. Now, let's imagine this, guys. Your rent is due tomorrow, and they're not going to take it any less than the day that they told you. You got two days to pay your rent, but you got no job and you got no money in sight. You see that fear that you have? You see how you will scramble, try and find a job, go and borrow money. Some people may even rob a liquor store out of fear just so they can pay their rent. You know what that is? You believe your, your landlord or your properties management that if you don't pay your rent, you will, you will be evicted. So you see, you got you because you believe in them, you fear the threat of being evicted. If you believe God is God and you believe his word, then you're going to have that same anxiety and fear of not obeying God. You will obey. You see, you're only going to do that which you believe. If you believe God is God, you'll obey God. But if you don't believe he's God, you're going to do what you want. But, you know, compare that. Okay, when people see the police come, they start running. When people threaten to call the police, you see a lot of people get frozen in their steps. Why? Because they know that the police will do what they said they will do. Now, the fear of the Lord, we should magnify that times 10. Because, you see, God won't just destroy the body. He won't just throw you in jail. You won't just be evicted. But you can go to hell but not obeying God and being a rebel to him. And you can stay there for the rest of your life. Get it right with God. Whatever sins that you're doing and you know that you've been a part of, hey, repent and make it right with him that you can be right with the Lord. Because if not, you're gonna see him one day. You see how the fear of the Lord is a real health, it's really healthy to us. It keeps us in line with him. That's what's necessary. Yes, we can preach the love of Christ. Yes, we can preach all of God's goodness because God is good. God is love. God is the God of peace. He's the God of all wisdom and understanding. He's a protector. He's a redeemer. He's a provider. He's all these amazing things. But you don't want to fall on the wrong side of God because there's a price to pay for that. You want to get right with the Lord. Let's go to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 22. Or 21. That's why in your spare time, guys, read um, Matthew chapter 25, where you had two that believed in the Lord, the, the parable of the talents, and they obeyed. You know, they, they uh, when God gave them a thing, they fulfilled it and went forward. But you see that last uh, uh, servant, 
He called him wicked and slothful because he hids the Lord's money, because he allowed fear of man to keep him from fulfilling the will of God. And he missed out. He called him wicked and slothful. And he told him that he would have his part in the lake of fire. Okay. He would have his place in outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the fear of man can keep you from eternal life. Learn to fear the Lord, okay? That is healthy for you and I. So let's look at Ephesians uh, 21. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So when he tells them to, uh, what does he say again? Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Husbands and wives should treat each other righteously because of the fear of God. It's not just your wife you're dealing with, and it's not just your husband you're dealing with. This is God's divine order. So he tells them how they ought to be. He tells the wives, submit unto your husbands, as unto the Lord. You see, a lot of women can't even imagine that. I've got to submit unto my husband as, as I submit unto the Lord? Yes, because that's God's divine order. And being an obedient woman before the Lord is going to teach you how to reverence Christ, okay? I'm not talking about he's the same as the Lord, but you should have that same submission. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be in, be in their own husbands or be to their own husbands in everything. So it doesn't say some things here. The wife should be obedient unto her husband in everything. And I'm gonna say excluding sodomy, you know, or any type of filth or, or, or things that will, you know, defile the marriage bed, okay? You don't have to submit to that. God tells you to submit to your husband. He doesn't tell you to submit to the devil in your husband, okay? So we've got to be in the right place with him, okay? So he said the wife should be obedient in all things, in everything. 25 husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So a man should be sacrificial unto his wife. He should be willing to lay down his life for his wife. He should obey his, you know, obey God and how to treat his wife. Just how Jesus laid down his life for the church, a man should be willing to lay down his life for his wife. This doesn't mean jump off a building. This is speaking of, you know, let's just say, you know, someone may be trying to kill your wife. Man, you've got to jump in there to save her. Okay, because this is what God wants us to do. Look at verse 26, and he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So let's look at without blemish, guys. Look at what this means. This is G299. That word means without blemish as a sacrifice without spot or blemish, or it says morally without blemish 
faultless and unblameable. You and I are only gonna be faultless and unblameable if we give all things unto Christ, give full of Christ, let Jesus Christ govern our lives and our and everything that we do. And we won't have spot or blemish because when God the Father looks at you know the bride or Jesus Christ looks at the bride, he's going to see himself. Or God the Father is gonna see his son in you. And that justifies you just as if you had never sinned. That is a faithful bride. Jesus Christ is going to marry himself. God the Father is only going to allow Jesus Christ to marry himself. God the Father is looking for a bride that is full of Jesus Christ because it's only in Jesus Christ that we may get the hope of glory. All right, so he says in verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, um, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ uh, and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Look at the word reverence. This is G5399. That word means, that word is phobia. It means to put to flight, to put to flight, be terrifying, to scare away, to put to flight, to flee, to fear, be afraid. Be struck with fear to be seized with alarm uh, of those uh, startled by strange sights or occurrences, of those struck with amazement, to fear, be afraid of one, to fear, uh, hesitate to do something for fear of harm, to reverence, venerate, uh, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. So you know, he's not talking about peeing on yourself because you're scared of your husband. He's talking about that fear to do something wrong. When your husband has the last say, do not speak against him. You reverence him because you know that this is what God wants. Not fear of harm as if he's gonna beat you, but it says to hesitate to do something. So if God tells you or your husband tells you what you need to do with the money around the house and stop this, you've got to obey your husband and do what he says. Why? because you fear the Lord and so does he. So you've got to do right in God's sight. Can a husband be wrong? Can a wife give her opinion? Of course. And if a husband is a real man of God, he will honor that wife's opinion. But the final decision is his. And she's gonna be okay with that. Why? Because they both fear the Lord. That's why the Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. Let's look at Romans 3. Romans chapter three. I know I done lost half my woman audience with that one, but you see, you can't get around God. So you may as well deal with him and play it straight. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've even seen things too, guys, and I'm not trying to put fear on people, but God takes this serious because I've known of women 
that have divorced their husbands and moved on and thought that they could do things without him. And you find out, I'm not going to name names of some of the friends that I have, but I've noticed a lot of them were struck with sickness and breast cancer and HIV and, you know, all sorts of things. And I'm not saying that could be the reason, but, you know, God takes this stuff serious. And it's always like those women seem to have hard times moving on with their lives afterwards as if they're bound by God's word. Now, you know, if the Bible tells us that if the unbeliever depart, that the wife herself can actually, you know, move on and, and, and marry again. She's not bound in those cases. But it does seem awfully interesting how when women tend to like just leave their men, it's almost, and I'm not gonna say God put that on them, but you wonder if it's because they're not under right headship at the moment, they're not dealing with the divine order, that the devil almost has a legal right to seep in and do damage. I don't know, you know, and I'm not going to give you my speculation. I'm just telling you from people that I've known things that I have seen, you know, and, and you know, I don't understand it other than it could have something to do with, you know, the fear of the Lord. And, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. If anybody's going through that, you know, then I pray that the Lord sends a peace around you and that he gives you things and he'll meet the desires of your heart. I didn't say that to hurt anyone, but you know, God's word is true and God cares about those things. But I've seen people go through these sort of things and it's really interesting. Romans three, look at verse one. He said, what advantage then have the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? He said much every way chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. But what if some did not believe, uh, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. And it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and thy mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteousness who taketh away vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, but then how shall God judge the world? So as you can see, God is not for sin because if God was okay with your sin and my sin and everybody else's sin, how can God judge the world? God says, be ye holy for he is holy. But without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Verse seven. For if the truth of God have more abounded through my life unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So would you and I do evil that goodness may come? This is why we must fear the Lord. Because how can we just go to goodness or how can we do evil and not, not expect the reward of evil? What sows you, what seeds you sow, those are the things that you will reap. If you stay in line with the Lord, God will meet every need. So anyway, look at, uh, I believe I'm in verse uh, nine. Uh, let's see. Well, I'll look at verse eight again. He says, and not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. 
uh, whose damnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So in other words, imagine you and I calling ourselves Christians. Okay, we're Christians. And you've got the world out there that's full of sinners. Because we call ourselves Christians and we try and serve God to the best of our ability, but we're in sin and sin is dominating us. Does that make us better than them? God forbid. But because you see, if you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. A sinner is a sinner. You can call yourself a Christian all you want, but a sinner is a sinner. Okay, so we are not better than they if we're in sin. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Let's find out the reason why. Their throat is an open supplicator uh, with their tongues. They have used the seed. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. So this is what it's like when people have no fear of the Lord. They're a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of false prophets. He says their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And he says that their feet are swift to shed blood. Why do you think abortion is so big today, guys? There's no fear of the Lord because you got these lying scientists, okay, telling people that it's okay. It's just a, a little embryo. It's not even alive. If you take care of it in such and such time, you'll be okay. But what is it really? It's murder. You see, so the devil, through his lying doctors, lying pastors that are for this, and lying parents will tell us it's okay to do this because there's no fear of God. And you see, when those people don't fear God, your feet will be swift to shed blood. You'll even become a killer if you don't fear God because you'll kill somebody and think you're justified. But what keeps the Christian in the rightful place with God? Because you know that you're going to be judged one day for all that you do. You killing that man, you're going to have to stand before God. Or you killing that woman, you're going to have to stand before God. So these are things that you know that keeps you in line. Look at verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace have they not known. Why is this? There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see that? When there is no fear of God, that's when people will do whatever they want to do. That's why you need the fear of God in society. That's why you need the fear of God in church. That's why we need the fear of God as individuals, and we need the fear of God in marriage. Why? So that we can be right with our neighbor and we can be right with the Lord. But when we don't fear him, we'll go and do whatever we want to do. And, it, and it's ugly. It's an ugly thing. If you look at this, this is society today. And this is what we're praying and fighting our way through, that we can be made right with the Lord. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not going to go much longer but we're gonna look at Hebrews 10, and then I'm gonna conclude with another scripture. So look at Hebrews 10, and let's begin at verse 19. No, actually, let's go to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 and get Hebrews 10, because I wanna make a couple of points here 
about the fear of the Lord. Hebrews chapter two, look, I mean, Hebrews chapter six, look at verse one. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So Paul speaking of going forward with the Lord, not going back to dead works and let us go on to perfection and not laying again the foundation of repentance. You see a sinner, the way of a transgressor is hard because you're gonna be constantly repenting. Yeah, as a saint, you're gonna to repent too, but you know that God will get you past certain sins and you won't even have to think about them anymore. Verse two says of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So why does he want us to get past these pet sins, these small sins, these worldly sins? Because he wants us to get to the, the doctrine of baptisms and knowing what it is to lay hands on people, guys, and of the resurrection of the dead. He wants you to walk in power. And it says, and of eternal judgment. He says, and this will we do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. So imagine it's impossible for those who were once like Christ. Imagine walking in the power like Brother Henry Groover, like Derek Prince, like R.W. Schombach, A.A. Allen, all those mighty men of God that walked in the power of God. He says, God will allow them to have these things, but he says it's impossible to become enlightened, to walk in the spirit. And he says, and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. So what it means, taste the good word of God, it's not just speaking of guys, you reading the word and learning it and applying it to your life, it's talking about becoming one with the word. It's talking about looking at the book of Acts and watching how the disciples worked and all the things that they've done, that that truth of the word, of the gospel has come alive in your life. You're not just reading it. You're not just studying it. You're living it and you're performing it. You're not just learning about Jesus Christ. You're demonstrating Jesus Christ. And this is what he means when you tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So we're talking resurrection power, Holy Ghost power, the power that Jesus walked in, where he says will happen to those who believe on Jesus Christ, the signs that will follow. He says, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the son of God afresh, and have put him to an open shame. There is a point of no return. That's why our God is slow to show power. Because if God ever gets you to the place where Christ is living in you, working through you and performing in you, if you should go back to the mire or the muck or the mud and dabble around there, now that people have seen that the power of God has worked through you, that people that know that you're a man or woman of God. If you go back to your sin in the mud, as you know God is real because he's worked through you, because he speaks to you, because he performs through you, 
if you go back to your sin at that time, in that case, in that state, in that relationship with the Lord, there remains no repentance for you because you have put God to an open shame. How can you have the gifts and the miracles and the power of God working and go right back to the whorehouse and, be, and become a, a pig or a dog? You, There is a point of no return. That's why God is slow to show power. He sanctifies us. He liberates us. He moves us along very slowly because even with the gifts, we must learn how to operate in them and we must have the maturity in order to deal with God. You see, there is a, a price to pay for God's miracle work and power. You can't go back to your sins. But you know what? I don't care. I'm still pursuing that. I'm still going for it. What other alternative do I have than to go back to the world and become subject to it? I'd rather live above my circumstances, full of Jesus Christ, being more than a conqueror, as he says, that he may tell me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul talks about pressing towards that mark of an high calling. Few people get there because people turn back and they refuse to cross that river. They go back to the sin. They go back to the pleasures of this world. And that's why the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and people become unfruitful. And you got to get all you can in Christ. So you see, this ought to give you some fear to not, not to not pursue what God wants, but to let you know there is a point of no return. Don't think there's not. Jimmy Swaggart had a powerful anointing of the Lord. Jimmy Swaggart would play his piano. People would fall out full of the Holy Ghost. I remember when I was a young boy and I watched this. And I remember he was on TV crying because he got busted with the prostitute. He was saving thousands of souls. But yet fooling around in New Orleans, you know, with prostitutes. And eventually God had to pull the sheets off of him. Now, God may have forgiven Jimmy Swagger, but his ministry or he himself was never the same. He was never the same. Why? Because he put the Lord to an open shade. God, don't play that. Look at Hebrews 10. Look at verse 19. I'm trying to scare people, but a good healthy dose of fear is what gets the job done because you don't take God for granted. You know he's real. You know, and not to fear God makes you foolish. It's just like you being on a train track playing with marbles and God will tell you, you know, I mean, or someone would tell you, hey, man, get off that track. The train is coming. And if you say you don't care and you stay there playing with your marbles, hey, you don't have to be. I used to hear this saying my mom and dad used to say when we would tell, you know, when we would talk about we weren't scared. Our parents used to say you don't have to be scared to get hurt. And that's the truth. You can be big, bold, bad, and courageous, but that don't mean you won't get your butt kicked. That won't mean that somebody won't hurt you. So you see, you don't have to be scared to get hurt. But you know what? If you fear God, you don't want it. You don't want God to trample over you. You don't want him to run over you. Play it smart. Yield to his wisdom and understanding and reap the benefits of what an obedient child will have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, if you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, I will grind you to powder. So let's look at Hebrews 10 and verse 19. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of all 
I mean, into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us uh, through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So you see, we should be trying to counsel one another unto good works and God. Look at verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much of the more as ye see that day approaching. And if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So you see, willful sin is dangerous because there's no guarantee that God can stay with you. You know, God can't be a part of sin. We know that God is good and his mercy endures forever, but we got to understand this too, that, you know, God had written Ichabod on the, on the doorpost. I mean, or, or you know, on the, um, uh, he, a child was called Ichabod because the father allowed his two sons to sin in Israel. I believe that's in um, 1 Samuel chapter four, but there, were, um, there was a man named Eli. He had two sons that were living like sons of Belial, torturing people, I mean, false prophets, uh, scaring people, threatening people, stealing from people, sleeping with women in the church and doing all this stuff. So eventually, because Eli didn't get his sons in line, Eli fell and died. You know, the Ark of the Covenant was taken. Israel was judged. They lost their war. And thousands of people died in that war. And the child was named Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. So you see, you can go too far with God. And we've got to get in that place of pursuing him. Because that once saved, always saved is a damnable doctrine from hell. Why? Because it keeps you from fearing the Lord. So anyway, he says in verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be that how she be, how he be or shall he be uh, thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite to the spirit of grace. See, you can do despite to the spirit of grace. That's why the Lord tells us, quench not the spirit of God. Frust don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't grieve the Holy Ghost because you can get to the place of, he says that those people in Moses' day died without mercy under two or three witnesses. But he says, so how much sorrow, how much worse will the punishment be? Suppose ye shall be uh, thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith uh, he that sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite to the spirit of grace. So that's kind of like a slap in Jesus' face. You know what you do 
when you walk in God's power and you know that God is real and you go back to your sin, that's like hammering Jesus on the cross. That's like spitting in his face. That's like setting him up again to be crucified because what you're saying is Jesus was not good enough for me. We may have mistakes in life. We may do things and we may repent, but he's speaking, as he said in Hebrews 6, of that knowledgeable knowledgeable one, one that walks around full of the spirit, one that everybody knows you're a man or woman of God. If you should go back to your sin, you trodden the son of man, the son of God, Jesus Christ, like he was nothing before you. And you do despite to the spirit of grace and you call the blood of God an unholy thing. Not me, man. Look at verse 30. For we know him that hath said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You hear that? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why we better use grace as a time period to get to know the Lord and get built up. Ask him to take that sin from you and the desires of the world. Look at verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly while uh, ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions to them that were so used. But ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. So we're supposed to stay heavenly minded. We're supposed to be looking. That's why Jesus tells us, set your affections on the things above, not on the things below. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. So you see, you and I have to labor unto our last breath. We've got to live for Jesus Christ that at the end of it all, we might receive the promise if we are obedient. But yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, let's look up that word draw back. This is G5288. That word means to draw back or to let down, let your guard down, lower, uh, to withdraw of a timid person, to withdraw oneself, to be timid, to cover, shrink of those who from a timidity hesitate uh, to avow that they believe. So that means to not even proclaim the gospel, to walk away from the truth. He says to be unwilling to utter from fear, to shrink from declaring, uh, to conceal or dissemble. So if you and I have fear of preaching the gospel, that's why Jesus told them, fear he who have a heaven and hell to place you, or after he has killed the body, he can cast the soul into hell. Don't fear man, because man will keep your mouth shut. Man will keep you from proclaiming the gospel and obeying the Lord. And as you know, that's not gonna be a good thing. If Jesus says you'll be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. 
if you confess me before men, him I will confess before my father, which is before which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, him will I deny before my father, which is in heaven. So we better figure out who we got fear of. Is it God or man? But he says, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. So you see, when you draw back, you go unto destruction. As David drew back from the war, okay, he found himself with Bathsheba and almost ended up having himself destroyed, but God forgave him and he used him. But to them that believe, to the saving of the soul. So those who believe will go forward with the Lord, will do the things of the Lord and not be snared by the cares of this life. So as you can see, guys, the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. The Bible tells us that, you know, God will chastise everyone that he loves in Hebrews 12. He says, but if we be without chastisement, then we are bastards and not sons. You see, and he says that if we are chastised of the Lord, we will, um, you know, we will endure for a while and it may seem hard and grievous, but then there'll come a point that we will bring forth those peaceable fruit. So you see a good butt whipping of the Lord is what keeps us in line. A good healthy dose of fear of the Lord is what keeps us in line because it brings us to the place of the saving of the soul. Last scripture of the night, Ecclesiastes 12, and I will close out from there. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 12 and let's look at verse one. Thank you, Jesus. Ecclesiastes 12 and one, he says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So, you know, Solomon, who was the wisest man, wrote 12 chapters on what is vanity. He was pretty much telling them that everything that is vanity or vain is not of God. It's not even worth your time. Vanity is like that breath that you breathe out and then all of a sudden it just evaporates, it just goes away. That's what life is when you have not God. That's why you can't get caught up in treasures here because these things come and go. They're fleeting, they're flighty, they take flight. Money has wings, fame goes away. What you want is what will endure through time and that is Jesus Christ. So he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth while the evil days come not. So before in the days of your youth, in your innocency, remember the creator because the evil days are gonna come and they're gonna try and corrupt. He says, nor the years draw nigh uh, when, when ye shall say, I have no pleasure in them. So see, this is what happens and this is something Solomon knows and this is something that God knows. As you get older, you stop caring about a lot of stuff. You start to even lose the fear of death at some point. You know, you know that this is not your home. You've seen this rodeo a thousand times. It's no longer fun to you. So he's saying, remember your creator before you're on your deathbed. He says, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. What is he talking about here? 
your deathbed one, but he's also talking about the coming of the Lord. Look at verse four, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of, of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fears shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden. The desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. So this is the end of a man's life. He says the mourners will be in the streets and man will be going to his long home. Look at verse six, or ever the silver cord be loose or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel be broken at the system. What is he talking about here? This is something that a lot of new agers know. This is why they can astral project. But there is a silver cord lining your soul to your body. That's why when they astral project, these people leave the body and they go and travel around, but they stay connected to their body. But if that silver cord were ever broke, that person goes into eternity dead, okay? But the point is, is that he's making clear here that if that cord be loosed when we die, that cord will be loosed. Your soul leaves the body. And where does it go? Back unto the Lord. But he says the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken. Now we are known guys as vessels. When your vessel can take no more, or when you are shot and killed, when your body's been destroyed, when you're eaten up by age and disease, okay, that you will eventually die and your soul will leave your body. So anyway, he says in verse seven, then shall the dust return to the earth. From dust thou art, unto dust thou shalt be again. When you and I die, we will return to dust. That's God's promise. He says, as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Now I wanna look at vanity again. I wanna look at this word before we close. This is H1892. That word means vapor or breath, breath or vapor, vanity or vainly. It says emptiness or vanity, figuratively something transitory and unsatisfactory, often used as an adverb, as an adverb altogether vain and empty. So you see when something is empty and it has no hope, you're just pretty much wasting your time. So what he's saying, he's ending this chapter how he began this book, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. When you and I get to that place, guys, that all is vanity, we can fear the Lord. Because you see, we think that we're gonna lose something here. We got fear of losing all these things, these relationships that we built in the world. And because of that, we don't, we don't fear God or serve him. But when you recognize this is all vanity and Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters, man, that will sober us up quick. Look at verse nine, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one 
uh, from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. He's telling him to be warned of the making of many books. There is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So you see, you can have too much wisdom. A lot of people make books, write books, read books, sell books, and they think that they're gaining something here. But while they got all this wisdom and while they're learning all this knowledge, it's a weariness to your flesh. Do you know that there are some knowledges and wisdom put in place just to distract you from God? How a lot of people may go to school and they become a doctor, but they'll come out with that proud mind and they don't even seek the Lord. They believe the lies of evolution, that there is no God. He says, be warned, man, of all these books and all this wisdom and all these things that we think we're gaining in this life. He says, because you're gonna find out it's weariness to the flesh. What does that mean? It doesn't benefit you. Only God and his word are the benefit to man and the only true necessity in this life. Verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is Solomon saying? Guys, I took you through 12 chapters. I'm saying what I'm saying just to get to this one place. I said all that to say this. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man is to fear God, guys, and keep his commandments. Look at H, this is uh, the whole duty of man. This is H120, and that means man, mankind, you know, or ruddy or everything that man is supposed to do, okay? This is what man's purpose is, is to fear God and keep his commandments. He says, but this is the whole duty of man. But God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. But that's something to think about, guys. We gotta face the Lord one day. Will we be ready? Will we be desiring him? Will we have our hearts and minds set to meet the king? Because unless we fear God and keep his commandments and fulfill the duty of God, He's gonna bring every judgment, everything we ever say, everything we ever thought, everything we ever done, everything that we ever thought was good, but the intent of the heart said otherwise, Jesus Christ will see through you. And he's gonna judge you according to that. So guys, that's the lesson for tonight. I just wanna say, I love you, but let us fear the Lord while there is still time and get in line with him and meet his needs. Because if not, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So I just wanna pray real quick for everyone. Guys, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is still time. Repent of your sins, admit to the Lord that you are a sinner needing salvation. Ask him to forgive you of those sins. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and that he is the only way. And through his shed blood, that he will wash you and I clean, okay? Get into a relationship with him. Believe that he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Be baptized in water. He will eventually baptize you in his spirit. Get into his word and have a relationship with Jesus Christ while there is time because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. So I just wanna say to people out there, you know, I love you. And uh, Brother Kevin, um, you know, thanks for being on tonight, man.
praise the Lord. Uh, Brother Mark, you know, Sister Sarah, Brother Randy, Sister Tara, Sister Daughter of the King, and whoever else was on tonight. You know, let me pray for you guys real quick, and then from there we will close. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. Right now, Lord, we commit this time to you that we may give all things unto you, all things that we need to confess, all things that we need to repent of, all things that we need to happen with us, Lord. We pray that we become transparent, that you forgive us of our sins and that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we just pray, Lord, for a special anointing to the hearers that your word seeps in deep, that you lay before us blessing and cursing, but Lord, let us receive the blessings. Let us fear the Lord because it is good for us, Lord that we may desire you and we may walk with you and we may become one with you and that we may do all that you call us to do. So we just pray, Lord, and we ask that you watch over people, my sister Tara and her sister with cancer, Lord. I pray that you bless her and you heal her. For all the others, Lord, who may have family that are sick, I pray, Lord, that you glorify yourself by letting them know that you can do all things that you turn their hearts to them. For my dad, Lord, in his eye and all that he's suffering, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you bring healing and that we depart from sin, that our healing may be complete, that we may walk with you and serve you as faithful children that may hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Lord, we pray that you do these things for your glory and honor. Let all these things be done for you. In Jesus' name we pray. So I just wanna to say to people out there, I love you tomorrow night. We're gonna have a teaching called The Lawbreakers or Lawbreakers. That should be a good study. That's going to air at 7.35 p.m. Pacific time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So I just wanna to say to my brothers and sisters, I love you all. And until next time, have a good night. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit